In classrooms across the country, teachers are changing the future of student success. That's why the Stride Professional Development Center is committed to solving teachers' greatest challenges with live events and a growing library of on-demand professional development content. On March 1st, teachers everywhere are invited to join Stride PD Center's award-winning conference, Promising Practices 2024. Promising Practices connects teachers to practical strategies and innovative resources they can apply directly in the classroom. Sessions will feature topics such as instructional practices, school culture, student support, project-based learning, and more. Speakers will share resources that can be tailored across subjects and grade levels in any type of school and in every community. In addition to the live events on March 1st, attendees will also receive one year free access to the Stride PD Center. Learn more and register today at stridepdcenter.com. It's more common than ever now to see adults and children glued to a screen. But when it comes to children and screen time, it is a particularly loaded topic. A recent study found that since the pandemic, screen time among children has gone up 52% globally. This increase has led to concerns about developmental delays, impaired socialization skills, and health issues. So how does screen time impact our children? Is there good and bad screen time? And how can parents make the right decision when it comes to technology and their children? This is what I want to know. And today I'm joined by Dr. Keisha Ray to find out. Dr. Keisha Ray is a globally recognized leader in education and a transformation coach. She leads K20 Connect, an educational consulting network where she works to create positive change in the education system. She joins us today to discuss how screen time impacts our children. Keisha, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be here and be part of this conversation today. There's so much I want to talk to you about. This is an important topic when we talk about or when we think about this idea of screen time for young people. Uh, it's permeating all of society. But before we get into that, I want to talk about you. Now, how did you go from designing technology to in, in classrooms and museums to now being an education consultant? Talk a little bit about your journey to where you are now. Oh my goodness. Well, uh, it's super personal, actually. I had led my career from teacher to principal to, you know, superintendent all the way up. I'd been in higher education as a faculty member and as a director. I'd done all that, traveled, done research, and I wanted to have a child. Mm. And I had not had a child. And so from 45 to 50, I tried to have a baby and lost seven babies. Oh, my goodness. And I decided I needed to stop. And if I really wanted to have a child, I had to stop, put everything aside and focus on that. So I did. And when I came out of having my amazing child, which I had at 54, so now we're really dating myself, and uh, I realized I couldn't have waited that many years to have a child and go back into the grind of superintendent land or 
kind of daily nine to fiving. The other thing that happened and is where I kind of got my interest in the screen time work is um, I never thought that becoming a mom would change my thinking Mm. as much around education as it did. Wow. And so I felt I came out of that experience uh, in a way that I felt driven to make a difference in a, in a, in a very different way than I had previously. I felt before I had always kind of been in situations where I was, um, creating change, but it was like one system or one organization at a time. Mm -hmm. And as a mom, I was like, I got to change the world for everybody. Like, (laughs) Let me ask you one other thing before we get into this 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 whole world of screen time usage. Um, what did lead you to education? Because I'm struck by the fact that you said your vantage point, your your worldview changed when you had your child. It sounded like it seems like it's much more personal now. Uh, but what led you to education in the first place? Well, and I thought it was personal before because I'm a sixth generation educator my great great grandmother was a normal school teacher oh wow who who had to quit when she got married i mean so that was at the turn of the previous century yes 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 yeah i mean we that's all we know i growing up everyone in our family like extended cousins everybody are educators my brother was the first person in the family to say i'm not going to do that and it was a like what? <laughs> How, could <you> not? <laughs> How could you not do that? Everybody, and if they weren't in like proper, they were like my uncle. He was um, he ran parks and recreation. His degree was in education, right. but he ran parks and recreation for the city of Memphis. I mean, everybody had some kind of you know job in the field of education. So that's the family business. It's the family business. It's what we do. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Now that you have this vantage point, and particularly with a young child, yes, screen time is real for you. So let me give you a Very. quick um, example. We all have examples. And globally, uh, as a result of the pandemic, pandemic, screen time is up 52%. Um, and it not just includes young people. We adults are involved in more screen time. But let me tell you, my wife and I generally will go out and have coffee early in the morning. And every time we go out early in the morning, we end up following a school bus, a lot of kids in our route. And I remember my days on the school bus. I couldn't wait to get the school bus sometimes to see my friends and talk and horseplay or what have you. But when you look at 10, 15, 20 kids at a school bus, any school stop in America, if their parents aren't with them, each of them, 90% of them are on their phones. They're, they're not engaging with each other. And that has become commonplace, Keisha. Talk to me about why, how we got to where we are, and then we we're going to unpack some of oh, these challenges. I mean, there's a slight possibility I may alienate some people, but it's not intentional. I don't think anybody intentionally said, I'm going to 
put a device in front of my child that will hurt them. No. And I don't think that it ultimately hurts them. I'm a firm believer in digital learning. But I think how we got here is <clears throat> parents and to some extent teachers, but let's just stay with the family for right now. Parents, you know, back in the day, we all lived near one another. Grandparents lived near children, you know, their children, and we were more of a, um, a, a central family unit, so to speak. Extended family lived with, nearby. Mm -hmm. we, we hit a period, and it just happened to coincide with the technologies introduced, right? Where children move away and have kids, so they don't have the support structure mm, that they point. need. And again, this coincided. It's like nothing intentional. like the universe aligned, right? So now I've, I'm a young mom. My mom's in Pittsburgh. I'm in, you know, San Jose. I don't have the skills. I can call her, but I don't have the person that I can just like, hey, can you help me? Um, I'm having to figure out childcare, blah, 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 blah. A lot of stressors. And when I, when my children misbehave or act in a way that I don't feel like I can manage, I can hand them a device, they calm down. Yeah. And now I see that works and that becomes my habit. And then on top of that, I may want to play my video games or check my social channels. And in order for me to do that, I need to occupy my child. I can't, what, what my, uh, awareness is, is sitting in restaurants and public places and yes. seeing families gather. We went out to eat last night. There was a mom and a daughter, no conversation. Daughter's got her iPad propped up right in front of her plate. The whole meal, mother's on her phone, the whole meal. I'm like, why did you pay for a dinner? Just get DoorDash. Yeah. Like yeah. there's no conversation happening. And I think that that is where it started is families just, you know, these parents grew up with technology. It was fine. Didn't hurt them. Right. And then they have children. They use technology. A lot of parents put their children on social media. I have a little bit of a challenge with that because that's creating a digital footprint for that child that the child has no control over. Yeah. Now my child's image is out there. My image is out there. My parents did it. I, I might not want my image out there yet. So it's just, it moves so quickly without anyone really knowing what the effects would be. And now these habits of mind are in play that are very challenging to undo. Well, you know, it's like a cesspool. I think you're right. And I've seen it. I've seen it on planes. Um, and I do think that, boy, that's an interesting point. And I, I, I agree. It's a great point. This sort of coincided with, you know, the, the, the families and offspring moving away to other places mm -hmm. no and, and, and trying to find that relief when they don't have the support. But there is, as you said, good and bad uh, screen time. Um, the examples of bad we know there's the bullying. Uh, there's the safety issue. You talk about sharing your image and the like. Um, there's content that's not good for children. Um, 
And you you mentioned the fact that you don't agree with necessarily um, allowing a child's image or have a social media account at too young an age. Is there a right age for that? 15 to 17, maybe. You know, we want the kids to, and then that's highly supervised, but we want the kids to develop, even before we even think about that, if we think, go back even earlier to language development, right? Because that's social development. That's how I interact with the world around me and how I present myself to the world around me. That's social media. And that a kid really shouldn't be able to handle or manage until they're 15-ish to 17. I'm only more towards 17. But realistically, they're all on it at 13 because that's what the law says is allowable, right? And some younger than that. But if we look back to the younger, younger kids, what what I'm seeing and what, is, what research is playing out is the excessive amount of screen time is affecting language development, brain development, physical development, because they're not out riding bikes and learning those kinds of skills. Um, and it's creating social isolation and depression and anxiety. So there's a, there's a correlation between the, the highly technical age that we live in now and the number of kids that are on antidepressants and the suicide rate. Like, it's, they're related because our kids can socially isolate into invisible worlds. You know, when I ask my nephew who's 15, who he plays with, he rattles off all these friends. I'm like, well, you know, do you ever have them over? He's like, oh, they're, they're online. I'm like, yeah, so you've I, never I, met them in person? I no. But I hear that a lot. Friends. <laughs> yeah. I hear that a lot. So let, let's, 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 let's be practical. Let's, let's, let's start with where you began this conversation where there's been, it's been ingrained now that parents have used devices and this is a lack of a better term as a babysitter. It's also now been integrated into the classroom to some extent. So when a kid who is in middle school and those are sort of those transitional years, middle school is sort of the crazy years where it leads to either real crazy or, you know, the quiet before the storm. But let's say a 12-year-old says, you know, I'm used to my device. I'm used to you allowing me to use the device. All my friends have accounts on TikTok and Instagram. Why can't I do it? How does a parent deal with that? Because I said so. <laughs> now that is too old school. Cause I, cause I said so. Just eh, let's well, cut it. Delete. Rewind. Let's just try it again. I will tell you with my daughter what my strategy when she wants something. Now, granted, she's only four, but I also use it with my nephew, who's fifteen, and my niece, who's nineteen. So I feel like it's kind of time tested but I do try to throw the logic out and teach them so I had a conversation with my niece who was going she's 18 she's turned 19 now but this time that we had this conversation is 18 and um I was looking at her Instagram and I said you know we'll we'll call her Susie 
I said, Susie, all of your pictures on your Instagram, you're half naked. <laughs> when I look at you and I see half nakedness, she, to be fair, she's a cheerleader. Right. But <laughs> still, I'm like, <clears throat> all I see is this image. And that image conjures something up in my mind of who you are. She's like, and I, tell, I share with her what that image is. Oh, Aunt Keisha, that's not who I am at all. I said, well, that's what your social media profile tells me. Well, how do I change that? You delete it. But I've got 5,000 followers. <laughs> do you need them? What do they do for you? Well, they improve my, my chances. In what? <laughs> Getting more followers? And now she's like, well, I see, where, you know, like she sees where I'm coming from. But Keisha, and let me, let me stop here because like, most people won't go well, with look, me on that. <laughs> no, no, no. I think you're right. But the cesspool continues because as you probably know, I'm yeah. sure you know this, they have Instagram influencers who yeah. advertisers, you yeah. know, Coca-Cola, McDonald's are using Instagram influencers to sell products. Yeah. And one of the criteria is if you have a significant follower base, then you have the ability to help make us money. So how do we balance that argument when oh, it is God. out there? Yeah, I know. I, I, I don't know. That's why I'm in full-time consulting because I, <laughs> I believe that, um, you know, businesses are taking advantage. First of all, businesses are taking advantage of these influencers who may have a lot of followers. I have a lot of followers. I don't know who these people are. <laughs> I don't know what they do. And I don't know if they're really in my space or they'll really buy that product. Yeah. So if I were, if I were in marketing for the company and I had a list of people, I would want to verify my list. This is a cheaper way to cast a wider net using influencers, you don't have to do any verification or validation to share information that's on the influencer and the influencer because of it not being regulated right now is kind of waived of that responsibility that we all once had in this yeah. space. So I think, again, this is another example of things moving faster than policy or regulations can be put in place. And I'm not an over-regulate me person, but I am a structure and order person. And if we don't put some structure and order around certain things, then we get out of balance. Let's We're go way back. out of balance on influence. We right? are. And, and, and it's interesting. I was going to use the word balance. Let's go back to the example of how you talk to your kids. I've heard examples. We've had other people on the show you know, talk loosely about this, that balance is important. And when that 12 or 13-year-old says, I want to, you know, get online or I want to have an account. You know, if the parent decides and agrees they'll let them do that before the age of 15, 16, or 17, then the balance is parental controls. 100%. And rules of the road in terms of hours online yep. or sites you can access, which if you have parent controls, you have to have to you'll you'll get access to that. But but part of it is the parents have to be discipline in monitoring yes. those young kids usage and that is an issue as well 
and taught. I mean, my sister is a perfect example. She'll, she was letting her kids play their games up until bedtime. I said, no, you've got to cut that off two to three hours before. And then she's like, well, I'll just give them, you know, they, they take melatonin. I'm like, they make melatonin. <laughs> if you shut it off early, you don't have to supplement it with a pill. You could literally save six bucks a month on melatonin pills by letting them shut their computers off and do something like read, listen to music, any of that, instead of being engaged in a highly uh, aggressive game, you know, video game, right before they lay down. That's not good at all for anybody. But she didn't think anything of it. She's younger than me. So, you know, it's generational too. But I, I'm, I'm going to start um, this. Uh, right now, the, the name of it is just Parent Portal. But I believe that parents don't know. That's and right. if they did know, they would, they would do differently. Yeah. Or at least they would make more conscious decisions. You know, I was talking to a young parent the other day who had her child had a device at three months old. Wow. And she had a device propped up in front of her child, letting her watch shows. And um, she was proud because it was an educational show. And so I naturally start saying, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And I said, did you know that a child's personality is fully developed by age three? What? Said, yeah. You have, as a parent, three years to influence the type of personality your child is going to have. And then mm. it's over. So what you do in those first three years of life is so critical and so impactful on the kind of human that child's going to become. No idea she had. When I stare, share just that brief stat, most parents have no clue that those first three years are that critical. And it's being shaped by a device? And it's being shaped by a device. Yes. What are the good aspects of screen time? Well, they, you know, I, I am not anti-screen time, even though mm -hmm. I'm sure my family <laughs> thinks that I am. I'm not. I said I've spent my whole career in digital space. I, you know, I was one of the first people to adopt computers in the in education back in the day but it it kind of goes back to balance so for me the benefits of screen time in education are you can engage with digital content at your own pace and with your own preference so as a learner i can pick the pace that i want to learn and i can pick the preferences i want to learn the examples that i want to learn from uh, an example that I often give is when I was learning math, my male uh, math teacher was also a coach. So all of his analogies, all of his stories, everything that he used to teach math, he used in the context of sports, yeah. which I cared nothing about at the time. So I didn't relate at all and therefore didn't perform well in, in mathematics. And when I started teaching math, I asked my kids, what are your interests? And I would develop problems around what their interests were. Mm. Gardening, da-da-da, sports, game, whatever. 
and then it's more relatable to them. So technology does allow me as a teacher to create a more relatable lesson for my students. As a parent, right now, my intention is to virtual, I mean, my, my child's in virtual school now and she's in virtual preschool. So what that does for me as a parent is it frees me up. I can use the technology in such a way that it can supplement my teaching but it also opens up the schedule where if we want to go to the zoo or go to a museum or have family time, last night we did a tea party, then we can have those experiences too. So it is a time saver in mm -hmm. teaching at home as much as it can be a complement to teaching in a traditional classroom too. I think what we have to pay attention to is time, the amount of time that we spend on screens and I think that we have to pay attention to a screen is a screen is a screen. So a TV screen, a computer screen, an I, you know, a mobile device screen, a cell phone screen are all screens. Yeah. There is no differentiation. So as many times as you're looking at that screen, even as an adult, uh, a new study that I saw, this hits close to my home and, and your home because we're in the same age span. Yeah, we're same zip code. It's, it's same zip code. <laughs> is that um, there is new research on the amount of time that we spend on screens and Alzheimer's, the development yeah. of dementia. Yeah. So, you know, it, it doesn't just affect young minds. It affects all minds. It's non-discriminatory in the effects that it has on the brain. And what the delimiting factor is, is time, the amount of time that you spend. Research says, and the American uh, Pediatrics Association say, that the most amount of time anybody should spend on screens is two hours a day. Wow. Now, I tell you what, that is striking because I, and I shared this with someone earlier, I now get those notices that tell me your screen time last week was up. Yeah. And um, and I've gotten more of the notices saying my screen time is up as opposed to down. And so this phenomenon of screen time, we're talking about how it impacts kids. But to your point, you gave some excellent examples, Keisha. It clearly impacts on adults. And that's why this idea of of parent training, adult yeah. training and understanding, sharing information about the impacts I mean, it's really, really important uh, because otherwise we're all sort of flying blind and we don't realize the impact on us or how our own behavior continues to influence kids to grow their screen time usage. We're at the same time telling them to limit it. Yeah. And, and, and people get offended. I mean, I have a no phone zone at my in my kitchen and when I call and I have a basket right under the sign that says no phone zone for people to put their devices in. And I have other types of things like uh, I have the little trouble game and little bitty handheld games in that basket. So you can put your phone in and get something else out if you just have to end your, have something in your do, hand. Do you still have visitors to your kitchen? Just when <laughs> Well, it offends a lot of people. And I'll tell you, the number one person it offends is my husband. It offends him. <laughs> I'm just checking a score. I'm like, it, is it life or death? Now he is a physician, so sometimes it is. But I'm like, is it life or death? No. Can you 
well, is anything going to change if you don't know the score or do know the score? Is the score going to be the same? Yeah. Then put the phone up. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be an honest uh, <laughs> participant here. I, I've done, done the same thing. We, you know, this whole, that old school expression, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. We really have to put that in check on this issue. And, yes. and one thing I want to ask you about, you know, these high school students, I've, I've, a lot of classrooms, and I'm not talking about virtual classrooms, but the actual, right. you know, physical classrooms where you have, you know, either junior high, high school students with their phones and teachers trying to teach. Um, some teachers try to ban phones. Some, yeah. you know, that doesn't always work. Some try to, you know, discipline a kid or a child, a young person who's, you know, overly indulged with the phones. Uh, talk about the teachers, because, you know, you've got the parents on one hand, yeah. but that screen time, you know, is accelerated that two hours a day, you know, maybe a parent could work that out. But if you've already spent two, three, four hours in classrooms during yeah. the school day, then that adds on. So you have to have not just the parents involved, but what should teachers be doing and thinking about in terms of this issue? Right. Well, now there is research that suggests that when I'm engaged in homework or academic work, it is a null effect. So you can almost not count that, and I almost is in all caps, yeah. not count that towards screen time. But the, I think what a lot of teachers, especially when I was superintendent, brought to me was um, the distraction that the yeah. phone was. That's right. That's right. And so what I would say to them is I would give them several options. I'm like, number one, you can have the basket. Everybody puts their, have a no phone time in your classroom and a phone time. Like, while I'm giving you direct instruction, we need the phones up. Put them in the basket. You can go get them later. Get a fidget out. You know, put fidgets in there. Let them have a fidget if they have to have something in their hands. You are going to have to replace something in their hands because they're so accustomed to that phone being in their hands. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to give them something. And not just leave them with it. Otherwise, their mind is not going to focus on what you need them to focus on. Their mind is going to focus on my phone's in that basket. So that was one thing that I suggested. Another thing I suggested is incorporating the phone into the lesson. So use, you know, Kajit or, you know, some of the other Kahoot, some of the other tools that they that are available to, in, to bring the phone into the lesson. And the final thing that I um, asked teachers to do is to help it within your lessons, help students know when it's appropriate to use the phone and when it's not. In other words, if I'm giving a lesson and part of it is a lecture because I'm it's high school, so I can say, get out your phones, open your notes. I'm walking around as a teacher. I can see that the kids have their notes open. Take notes on what I'm saying or open your voice recording, record what I'm saying. They'll do it. Mm -hmm. They'll comply. And they're getting to use their phones. And they'll focus on the task you've given them on that phone. So let me ask you this. You speak about the social media sites. I just have a couple more questions. Sure. Um, you know, I had Senator Mark Warner on, who's been a longtime friend, Senator of Virginia. He's been very vocal. He comes to the technology world 
He was a guest on the show. He's been very vocal about the dangers of social media, and in particular, TikTok. And so in terms of, you know, parents trying to limit screen time, um, are there certain sites that trouble you or you think parents should be uh, more focused on? Uh, Because, as you said, if, if the screen, you know, presents you know, educational opportunity or aids in the educational information acquisition process. That's one thing. But if there are some of these sites that are intentionally trying to develop, you know, addictive responses, that's something else. So how how should parents deal with that? Well, I mean, in a a keynote that I give... (laughs) but I will put it in that parent portal that I'm dreaming up uh, soon. Um, I kind of suggest what, how to use technology, including apps, by grades, by grade, by age. Oh, okay. And I explain, you know, like under one, you can do FaceTime with a grandparent so they know faces and aunts and uncles and whatever, but you don't set it up in front of them and walk away from the kid. You stay with the child, da-da-da. With so, by the time you get up to social media, I think, first of all, in middle grades and end of elementary, like from third to sixth grade, we really need to be intentional about teaching kids about digital footprint, information literacy, digital literacy, and what it can mean when their image, likeness, and thoughts are shared widely on the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's some great lessons on how to do that. But it has to happen earlier than we probably think think about doing it. And then when they get to high school teaching them, basically, and I'm sure this is where Senator's going with his worry about TikTok, is you're integrating into a much bigger system when you're accessing networks like TikTok, Instagram, Timu, WhatsApp, you're you're connecting more broadly and widely than just in your backyard or in your city or even in your state. And when you start doing that, your information is shared not with just people that might be even in the US, but far 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 away from the US. And they will take that information and use it in a way that you may not be comfortable with. Kids don't think about that. Yeah. Kids are like, right here, right now, what I see, what I can do. They don't realize the ripple effect that their postings are. I challenged my niece. I said, look at your followers. Tell me how many of those followers are U.S.-based. Out of 5,000 followers, she had 2,000 that weren't U.S.-based. Hmm. I said, have you ever gotten out of the country? No. Do you know those people? No. Should they be your followers? No. But just teaching them, they don't know. And nobody is, I say nobody, I'm sure somebody out there is. But it's not as intentional as it probably should be, teaching them the ramifications. And even influencers, I think, don't think about, they're so focused on the numbers and uh, they're not realizing it could be a hacker. Yeah. You know, you get these requests for, or these postings, you know, share your favorite this, you know, 
I started dating whatever. You know, those like 10 things they want you to answer yeah. and repost. Those are, ha you know, not all the time, but oftentimes those are hackers trying to figure out codes, passwords. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, Keisha, I have one last question. This is what I really want to know. Um, in terms of this issue of the challenges associated with screen time, uh, where do you think this is all headed? And recognizing where it may be headed, what should parents be doing to prepare for the next five or ten years? You have a young child this four. Yeah. If, if For those parents who have young children under the age of five, what should they be doing to prepare their child for this future world of increased screen time? I think all parents need to become more educated on the effects of screen time and that there's good screen time and there's not good screen time. There's good sites, there's not good sites. There's good resources, there's not good. All parents need that kind of an education. And I don't know that there's a good place for them to go get it. That's why I'm determined to build it for them. And then I think that what we need to do is it, you're not going to slow down the industry of, you know, building these influencers out so they can kind of get free advertising or cheaper than normal advertising. You're not going to stop that. You're not going to stop the train, so to speak. So what we have to do is teach kids and adults how to navigate the train, how to navigate the space. And, and, part, and to me, that comes with education, all the way down to my four-year-old, where now, when I say to her, because I've taught her from the get-go, this is not good to be in front of a screen. We need to go outside. We need to run. We need to do a lot of other things with our bodies and minds than just this, even though this has been good for you right now. So we do it. I've already taught her. It's in 15-minute increments. Most of the children's shows are in 15 to 20-minute increments. Mm -hmm. So if they watch one show, that's 20 minutes. Chalk it up. So I've taught her that, and I think parents can do that. They can do it with timers and help kids learn how to self-regulate their own screen time. The earlier we start that, the easier it is when they get older. And then when they get into school, help them realize, let's prioritize schoolwork, which has less of an effect on your mind and body than other types of screen time. Let's prioritize that. And if we still have some screen time left over, then you can do blank. Or set the videos and things that have more negative an effect that can affect you know, ADHD and things like that set those as rewards rather than common behaviors throughout the week mm. and limit that. You, you get two hours of this type of screen time a week. So help put some kind of order and system in place around it. Again, we have to help parents understand what that should look like and what's good and what's not good because they don't know. There's no parenting class on how to do this. And the resources are far and wide on it that they can locate. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I'm looking forward to that portal. So me too. get to work, go to work. <laughs> Keisha Ray, thank you so much for joining me on What I Want to Know. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to What I Want to Know. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app so you can explore other episodes 
and dive into our discussions on the future of education. And write a review of the show. I also encourage you to join the conversation and let me know what you want to know using hashtag WIWTK on social media. That's hashtag WIWTK. For more information on Stride and online education, visit stridelearning.com. I'm your host, Kevin P. Chavis. Thank you for joining What I Want to Know.